0: Dr. McIntosh, please tell me about your insights on depression and the causes of it. All mental illnesses, and that includes depression, all of them are rooted in biological, psychological, and social risk factors. So there's never any one specific thing that led to a mental illness, but often factors from a variety of different areas in one's life. So biological risk factors are things like genetics and hormones, neurotransmitters, where psychological risk factors could be things like the amount of stress that you're living with and how you actually tend to cope with stress, how resilient or vulnerable you are, the the coping skills that you have. And then the social risk factors are things like being under a huge amount of financial pressure, for instance, or having marital strife, difficulty with your children. So we call them biopsychosocial risk factors, and every mental illness, no matter how genetic it may be, is still influenced by psychosocial factors in your life. So it's not all biological. Tell me more about uh, the link between stress and depression. Well, stress is actually a really important risk factor for depression, particularly early on in the first onset of depression, for instance. So I will often see young people who have had a really stressful situation and they're experiencing a first depression. And there's a clear correlation between When they uh, started to experience stress, how long the stress has gone on and how severe it is. My boyfriend broke up with me. My granny is sick or a family member, someone I love. And then they go on to develop depression. But with each subsequent depression episode, stress becomes less important. It can be important still, but I will see people that are experiencing their third or their fourth depression and they'll say, nothing happened. Here I am sick again and there was no stress in my life. So, stress is absolutely important, but not necessary for the onset of a depression. Tell me about inflammation. What we know now is that chronic and severe depression can actually become an inflammatory illness. And what starts initially as a stress response and leads to depression for that first depressive episode, when you have multiple or very severe episodes, there's actually an inflammatory cascade that is set up in the brain and it can lead to real measurable changes in the brain's structure and functioning. This all comes down to cortisol as a a starting point. Cortisol is our main stress hormone. It's the hormone that is released when we're in a stressful situation. It's an anti-inflammatory hormone and it helps to basically prevent tissue damage, help us to overcome a stress and get us back to homeostasis or back to normal as quickly as possible. But when you're under your chronic, unrelenting stress, and that cortisol level is really high, a sustained high of cortisol over an extended period, it can actually start to cause harm. And it impacts how some of our brain cells, glial cells, which are the, the really the brain caretakers, the support cells in the brain, they help to keep the brain clean, they help to feed and nourish the the neurons, and when, when there's high cortisol over a long period of time, they impact how glial cells do their job. So the, the glial cells stop cleaning up the, the brain and stop keeping neurotransmitter levels at the right level, and that ultimately leads to this inflammatory cascade that can damage and even kill neurons. And we can see in the brains of chronically severely depressed patients that they have shrinkage of particular brain areas, one called the hippocampus, we can measure that in people who have severe and chronic depression, and that's related to an inflammatory cascade. And of course, uh, that inflammation can cause other problems. Absolutely. So, you know, we we hear depression hurts, that people who have uh, serious medical conditions can become depressed. And I really believe that Inflammation is at the root of much of what we see as the mind-body connection. We know that if you have depression and a number of other mental illnesses, this increases the risk for serious physical illnesses. This includes heart disease, diabetes, other inflammatory illnesses, obesity, some infectious diseases, all are increased when someone has depression. And the reverse is also true. If you have an inflammatory or, or immune illness, or an infectious illness, you have a higher risk of developing depression. And I believe, from my reading of the, the research over many years, the foundation of this is based on an inflammatory process. If that is true, how does one treat it? Well, unfortunately, when, if we're talking about how do we treat depression, um, don't have specific anti-inflammatory treatments yet. This is a huge area of, of um, work now is trying to be more specific in our targeting of depression. That said, many of the treatments that we do have, have an impact on that inflammatory system, they have an impact on neurotransmitters, they increase a chemical called BDNF, which is brain derived neurotrophic factor, which I call brain cell fertilizer. And it's it's low in people who are depressed, but antidepressants ECT or electroconvulsive therapy, even exercise increases BDNF and that helps to grow new and healthy brain cells. What is required for an antidepressant to work is neurogenesis or new brain cell growth and we grow new brain cells all through our life. Unfortunately, it peaks around 30 and goes downhill afterwards like most things but it is something that we do through our whole life and so neurogenesis is required to overcome depression. All antidepressants work by growing new brain cells, including medications, even talk therapy, ECT or electroconvulsive therapy, exercise, the value of exercise, all increasing BDNF and growing new brain cells. And if you block neurogenesis, antidepressants do not work. It's all very complicated. What is the person with depression to do? Well, I think it's very complicated, but the good news story is there are treatments out there and We need to find the right treatment for the right person. Um, I have access to about 20 different antidepressants here in Canada. And antidepressants absolutely work, but they don't work for everyone. So my job as a psychiatrist, if someone requires treatment, right, they have a severe, moderately severe depression and they require medication, is not to just give them what I'm used to giving people, but to find the treatment that works best for them. And so I, that can take some time. It's frustrating, and there's a little bit of trial and error to find the right one or the right individual, and sometimes there's a combination of treatments. As well, there are other treatments that can be very helpful, not just medication. So exercise, yoga, mindfulness, faith, these, these all have some evidence for their value in preventing or helping to manage mild to moderate depression If you're able to exercise even with a severe depression, that really does help, but it's not going to be the only treatment that's going to work. Thank you so much for this. My pleasure.